little chilly. Pictures of peril, the danger of spurning God's love. Her section, looking through the lens of love. It's St. Valentine's Day tomorrow. Historically, it may be that more than one man named Valentine was martyred on February 14th in various years before 500 AD. The Christian Church, in promoting this date, may have been attempting to civilize the customs associated with the pagan festival of Lupercalia. At any rate, February 14th has become associated with celebrating love. Now, love biblically understood is quite different from romantic love, in which you become smitten or twitterpated frequently due to attraction based on rather superficial features such as physical beauty and rampaging hormones. Love understood biblically has more to do with one's sacrificially giving of oneself on behalf of the one who's loved. Let's let the Lord define our categories regarding love. Such passages as John 3.16 come to mind. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Love gave. Love made forgiveness possible. Or take the same reference, 3.16, in the Apostle John's first letter. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Doesn't that sound like a definition? This is how we know what love is. Love lays down its life for the beloved. Jesus gave his life for sinners. When we follow him, we come to lay down our lives, make sacrifices for our sisters and brothers in Christ. Now, of course, there's the love chapter as well, if you're looking for definition of love in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, especially verses 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Not a word about being bowled over by the other person's sex appeal. Somehow it doesn't seem to have to be anchored in the other person's meriting or deserving it at all. In fact, it overlooks the other's shortcomings. It's not based on or powered by physical chemistry. One of my favorite verses about what love is comes from Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A person's being sinful does not attract God to them. Yet God's agape love gets past the, the chasm of that objectionableness and through Christ's costly atonement makes the sinner holy through their repentance and faith or ownership of what Jesus accomplished for them at the cross.
So let's take this lens, these spectacles, if you will, of the biblical understanding of love and see what we can find about love in today's passage, Amos chapters 7 and 8, which is probably not one you would normally turn to to find out about love. Uh, But nevertheless, we can see with our New Testament eyes hints that love treasures, love communicates, love listens, love forgives, love is truthful, and love lifts up. First, love treasures. Love values the other. It treasures them, cherishes them. In a passage giving instruction about marriage in Ephesians 5, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Usually we protect and look after our bodies pretty well because we depend on them. We want to live a long life. New American Standard translates feeds and cares as nourishes and cherishes. The second verb there, thalpo, means to cherish with tender love, to foster with tender care. What we love, we value. We care for and cherish. We attribute worth to and prize especially. In Amos 8, we see the Israelites being condemned for prizing false gods. They treasured idols. 8.14 They who swear by the shame of Samaria or say, as surely as your God lives, Odan, or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall never to rise again. The first king, Jeroboam, had erected calf idols at Bethel in the south and Dan in the north. Here the phrase, the shame of Samaria, is in contrast to Amos 8.7, which says, The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. The Lord is supposed to be Jacob's pride, the one in whom they boast, the one they prize. Because the Israelites worship idols and don't value the Lord, they begin to devalue other people. They cheat and oppress and sell into slavery those who are poor. They don't treasure their neighbor. Amos 8, 4 to 6. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath be ended that that we may market wheat? Skimping the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales. Buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Selling even the sweepings with the wheat. End quote. What are they valuing? Money, making money. They can't wait for the religious festivals to be over so they can open up shop and start selling goods, shortchanging buyers, selling chaff with the wheat to lower the cost per unit weight, even selling poor people into slavery for minor amounts they can't repay on a loan or come up with for a pair of shoes they bought. Real love treasures. A wealthy old man had just recently married a lovely young lady and was beginning to wonder whether she might have married him just for his money. He asked her, 
If I lost all my money, would you still love me? She said reassuringly, Oh, honey, don't be silly. Of course I would still love you, and I would miss you terribly. Next section, love communicates. Next, love communicates. It gives expression to its thoughts. It articulates meaningfully with the other person. Jesus is God's supreme self-revelation, God's making known of God's very being. John 1.14, the word became flesh. 1.18, God the one and only has made him known. Jesus prayed at the end of his earthly life in John 17, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Love expresses itself. Love communicates. It shares itself verbally and opens up to the other person. In Amos 7.8, God shows the prophet various visions that communicate God's plans, or at least the threat of judgment that may be coming. He wants to give him a warning. At the beginning of chapter 7, the Lord shows Amos swarms of locusts he's preparing. Then verse 4, a vision of judgment by fire that dried up the great deep and devoured the land. At the beginning of chapter 8, the Lord shows Amos a basket of ripe fruit, indicating the time is ripe for judgment upon them. Yet, the Israelite leaders are not receptive to the messages God is communicating to them. About the middle of chapter 7, the priest at Bethel accuses Amos of raising a conspiracy against the king and tells Amos harshly to get out and go back to the southern kingdom of Judah where he came from. They don't want to hear God's warnings. Consequently, the Lord warns that a time will come when his loving communication will be withheld. 8, 11, and 12. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. He had sent them messages before, but the people rejected the messages, so they would be exiled and not hear words from the prophets anymore. Love communicates. Sometimes the simplest things we say convey the strongest messages to loved ones, says Boston marriage and family therapist Ellen Dunn, Ph.D. Some of these powerful words and phrases are, Nice going. Terrific. I'm proud of you. Wow. Way to go. I really appreciate your help. You're the best. Awesome. Great job. I know you can do it. Most excellent. Couldn't have done it better myself. Let's try some of those on for size this week, shall we? And communicate our love to the other person. Not be like the stiff-lipped old Englishman who at long last confided to his wife, Darling, sometimes I love you so much, it's all I can do to keep from telling you. Next section, love listens. Next, love not only communicates by venturing to share words out loud in speech, love also listens. It, it heeds what the other person is trying to convey. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. 
or as 18.13, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. And James 1.19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It's all too easy when in conversation with someone to be trying to think up what you're going to say next instead of actually listening to what the other person is saying. How be we first respond in a way that lets them know we really heard what they said? Love listens. At the beginning of Amos 7, we see two remarkable instances of God listening to the prophet, a mere man. First, there's that vision of swarms and locusts, 7, 1 to 3. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested, and just as the second crop was coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. Hmm, isn't that remarkable? The Lord relented, didn't carry through because Amos protested. Amos saw how devastating that would be to the people. Next comes another instance of the Lord listening, verses 4 to 6. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. The sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the sovereign Lord said. Consider the power of intercessory prayer. God hears and responds. Next, love forgives. In these same verses, we can see how love forgives. It says the Lord relented. He didn't carry out the planned judgment, at least not yet. It would happen eventually, several decades later in 722 BC when Assyria conquered the northern kingdom. But in the meantime came a period of grace. God was showing mercy. In scripture, God's love is associated with his forgiveness, not requiring payment from us for sins committed insofar as they're shouldered by Christ instead. We see this in John 3.16, repeated again here. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In Psalm 86.5, you are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Or as Nehemiah confessed in Nehemiah 9.17, they refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them. Peter wrote, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love forgives. Parenting requires a lot of love because our children mess up and tax us in many ways, requiring patience and forgiveness. One night, a two-month-old baby kept his mother and father awake with his fussing and crying. The father was at wit's end, had, had lost all patience. 
The mother, though, in her deep maternal love, picked up her son and cuddling him said, that's all right, I'm sorry you don't feel better. What an object lesson in self-giving love. I understand later today, many will be watching Super Bowl 56. As I said, I couldn't find any Bible verses with sheep and tigers, so I guess it's the L.A. Rams for the win, huh? It's just sheep in the Bible. Oh, just kidding. Anyway, I did find an illustration connected with an earlier Super Bowl, one that illustrates love's forgiveness, or at least overlooking failure. During the season of the first Super Bowl, the the great quarterback Bart Starr really felt bad about how he had played. He had a little system of encouragement for his son. Every time his son brought home a, a perfect paper, Bart would give him a dime. After returning from a rough game with St. Louis where he felt he had played very poorly, he was tired and discouraged. He felt battle-weary until he got to his bedroom. There on his pillow was a note from his son that said, Dear Dad, I thought you played a great game. Love, Bart Jr. With it was taped, two dimes. That lifted his spirits tremendously. Love is truthful. So what do we have so far? Just recapping. Love treasures, love communicates, love listens, love forgives. And love is also truthful. It doesn't ignore what needs to be said. If someone won't be upfront and truthful with us, if they dance around the bush and won't let us know what they're really thinking, or worse still, if they're using flattery towards us and being deceptive about what they really feel, that's not loving. Ephesians 4.15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. Likewise, Paul emphasizes in Romans 12.9, love must be sincere. God had some strong medicine he needed to deliver to the wayward Israelites, and Amos was the messenger he chose to speak the truth to the northern nation. In chapter 7, after the visions of the locusts and the fire, which did not happen after all, there's another vision that sticks. 7, 7 to 9. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a, a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. And the Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. God was being on the level with his people. Their actions weren't squaring up with his divine teaching. They had gone off course, off kilter. So he would spare them no longer. Their sanctuaries and high places where they worshipped idols would be destroyed. We need people in our lives who can tell us the hard truth we sometimes need to hear. Hopefully, lovingly and gently, they are really doing us a service. The bonds of trust and caring in a church should be so strong and lasting that Paul's counsel in Galatians 6.1 can be carried out. It says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. 
But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Do we have that kind of true friend in our life? Who feels safe that they can be completely honest with us and vice versa? Always, always, always in love. Love lifts up. I mean, love builds the other person up, lifts them up so they feel strengthened and supported rather than constantly criticized or cut down. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth concerning a topic about which there was some variance of opinion. And don't you know our world is rife with disputable matters these days? 1 Corinthians 8.1. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The Greek verb means literally to build a house or erect a building. If someone feels more torn down after we've interacted with them rather than built up, even if it's a matter of correction, somehow there's love missing. In Amos 7, we see the priest of Bethel, Amaziah, trying to cut down Amos the prophet, telling him to get lost, go away, head back home where he came from, accusing him of plotting conspiracy against King Jeroboam II. But Amos responds by recounting God's goodness in lifting him up from menial tasks down on the farm to become God's spokesperson to royalty. 7.14, Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. The Lord lifted up Amos for the special task he had for him, warning the Israelites about their impending doom. Amos was secure in God's love for him because it was the Lord who had chosen him and lifted him up for the task. Our love for each other as Christians should be lifting each other up and helping others in such a positive way that outsiders are drawn to that kind of fellowship and community. Tertullian was an early Christian apologist who lived about 155 to 220 AD. He wrote, It is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Look, they say, how they love one another. Look how they are prepared to die for one another. Such love builds others up, as in Christ together the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Ephesians 4.16 Lovingly anticipating. I'd like to close today with a quote not from St. Valentine, but from Mother Teresa, whose life and influence towered over the last part of the 20th century. She recalls the love she witnessed between her parents in her own home growing up. It speaks of the way love treasures the beloved. She said, My own mother used to be very busy the whole day, but as soon as evening came, she moved very fast to get ready to meet my father. At that time, we didn't understand. We used to laugh. We used to tease her. But now I remember what tremendous, delicate love she had for him. 
It didn't matter what happened that day. She was ready with a smile to meet him. And this is going to stretch us a little bit. And some of you may not quite agree with this or see it. Uh, but I'd like to share something very personal from, uh, uh, and I'll just go to the slide here. This is Mark Beach, who he was a youth pastor in the Brantford area. And uh, when COVID struck uh, about um, April, March, April last year, he got COVID very badly and uh, was in ICU. And you see, he still got a tracheostomy there. But uh, his wife, Teresa, has been with him all along. And uh, I just wanted to share what she wrote yesterday. And apply this to yourself. I'm not looking at anyone in particular, but I'm just saying, how do we love people like Mark? Okay? So this is Teresa, Mark's wife, writing. He's moved out of ICU now. He's up in uh, um, kind of uh, chronic care. So that's an improvement, and he is making progress. But um, In junior high youth group, I remember he was a youth pastor, we used to do an activity called Happy Crappy. Everybody say that? Happy Crappy. We'd be together before our devotional, and every student would have a chance to say one thing that was happy about their week and one thing that was crappy. For Mark and me, it was one of our favorite things to do because it was an opportunity to hear about what was happening in our students' lives. Happy crappy is a good way to describe the tension of life, and we're still learning to live in this tension. At the beginning of the week, Mark had his swallow test and passed with flying colors. He swallows well both on the ventilator and off. We were so thrilled about this, and the speech pathologist said she had never seen such great results after 10 long months of not eating. There was also a chance that the tracheostomy would keep him from swallowing, but that is not the case for him. Now Mark is on a thickened fluid and pureed diet, and we've been trying all kinds of food. The crappy part is that everything tastes terrible. And Mark is definitely not enjoying eating for now. Even his favorite cheese was a no-go. We will keep trying, and his doctor is reviewing his medication to make sure there isn't something throwing off his taste. The other frustrating thing for Mark has been the fact that he still can't lift his own arms, and being able to eat but not feed himself has been sad for him. For both of us, being in complex care continues to be a happy thing. Mark is improving more and more with a different type of care. And I don't think she mentioned anywhere in there he had kidney complications along with this as well, so dialysis and all that. Okay, bear with me here. But the news of the continued protests, blockades, and occupations is crappy. It's demoralizing. It also feels personal when we see people complaining about being tired of protecting vulnerable people by simple things like wearing a mask in public or getting a vaccine. And we see in here that it is demoralizing for the healthcare workers who are helping us. These are the people who have helped all of us maintain and regain our health. And now they are nervous for themselves and their colleagues as they head into work. Last Saturday, as I was heading into the hospital, there were police blocking off streets in order to keep the hospital safe and accessible. I worried that I might have trouble leaving at the end of the day if protesters came near and made things difficult. 
We're also hoping and praying that the long-awaited parts needed for Mark's new wheelchair are not stuck at a border blockade. It feels like insult added to injury. There are thousands of Canadians who are like Mark, who had severe COVID and are just trying to regain their health. They've lost their jobs along with their mobility and function. Because they don't have the great support like we do, they are struggling and worrying even more. It would be wonderful if this noisy minority of Canadians yelling about their own freedoms would turn their energy to actually helping their fellow Canadians from whom COVID has taken so much get back on their feet. Instead, they're just making the situation worse. I know many will not agree with me, but I thought I would share the crappy of our week. I ask you to think again about how a mask is simple but effective and about the fact that this vaccine is God's grace to us in the middle of the pandemic. I'm sharing a picture of Mark with his very first food tray in 10 months. This was our happy for the week. And Teresa ends, thank you for your continued prayers and support. And from Philippians 1.3, we thank our God every time we remember you. Let's pray. Thank you, sovereign God, for your vast love for us, expressed most clearly in Jesus' self-giving for us. Where would we be without your forgiveness, without your truth revealed to us in Scripture and shown so clearly in the life and teaching of your Son? Lord, forgive us for treasuring the wrong things in life, for cherishing idols, for not loving other people or according them value. Your plumb line hangs beside our life too, and we freely confess we have done crooked things. Thank you that Jesus has taken our punishment already at the cross. Help us get in line with your Holy Spirit. Embed your truth and love deeply in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.